We are going to turn and read some of God's word now. You might like to grab a Bible and start looking up 1 Samuel chapter 22 so we can listen together to our Father's voice. And we've got Donna who's going to read for us now. It's 1 Samuel chapter 22. Good morning, everybody. We'd really like to say hello to you all and hope that you're all doing really well. And we look forward to hopefully worshipping with you in person soon. I'm doing today's Bible reading, which is from 1 Samuel, chapter 22. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Absalom. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. From there, David went to Mizpah in Moab and said to the king of Moab, Would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? So he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him as long as David was in the stronghold. But the prophet Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold. Go into the land of Judah. So David left and went to the forest of Hereth. Now Saul heard that David and his men had been discovered, and Saul was seated, spear in hand, under the tamarisk tree on the hill at Jibea, with all his officials standing at his side. He said to them, Listen, men of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse give all of you fields and vineyards? Will he make all of you commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? Is that why you have all conspired against me? No one tells me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is concerned about me or tells me that my son has incited my servant to lie in wait for me as he does today. But Dove the Edomite, who was standing with the officials, said, I saw the son of Jesse come to Ahimelech, son of Ahitab, at Nob. Ahimelech inquired of the Lord for him. He also gave him provisions and the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. Then the king sent for the priest Ahimelech, son of Ahitab, and all the men of his family, who were with the priests at Nob. And they all came to the king. Saul said, Listen now, son of Ahitab. Yes, my lord, he answered. Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, giving him bread and a sword, and inquiring of God for him, so that he has rebelled against me and lies in wait for me, as he does today. Ahimelech answered the king, who of all your servants is as loyal as David, the king's son-in-law, captain of your bodyguard, and highly respected in your household. Was that day the first time I inquired of God for him? Of course not. Let not the king accuse your servant or any of his father's family, for your servant knows nothing at all about this whole affair. But the king said, You will surely die, Hamlech, you and your whole family. Then the king ordered the guards at his side, Turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because they too have sided with David. They knew he was fleeing, yet they did not tell me. But the king's officials were unwilling to raise a hand to strike the priests of the Lord. The king then ordered Dove, You turn and strike down the priests. So Dove the Edomite turned and struck them down, that day he killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod. He also put to the sword Nod, the town of the priests, with its men and women, its children and infants, 
and its cattle, donkey and sheep. But one son of Ahimelech, son of Ahitab, named Abita, escaped and fled to join David. He told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. Then David said to Abitar, That day, when Dove the Edomite was there, I knew he would be sure to tell Saul, I am responsible for the death of your whole family. Stay with me, don't be afraid. The man who wants to kill you is trying to kill me too. You will be safe with me. Well, uh, happy Father's Day to all the dads uh, out there, especially to my father. Uh, for me, this is an extra special Father's Day. Uh, so not only do I have three beautiful children who I'm very proud of, but I have two lovely daughters-in-law. And I am now a grandfather. Uh, how good is that? Uh, here is my grandchild snug snuggling away in Ashley's womb as we speak. Um, and of course... Uh, this is a time when my kids are asking me the question, what are we going to call you now that you're a grandfather? You know, what are the grandkids going to call you? Uh, you know, is it granddad or grandpa or pop? Uh, and the answer came to me like a flash. Uh, and the answer is pa, right? Uh, pa, not only because it's short for grandpa, but because my favourite TV dad of all time is pa, from Little House on the Prairie. Uh, I like Pa because he is such a great role model of fatherhood and manhood. Um, he is strong, but gentle, determined, but compassionate. He has sincere concern for others, but he doesn't take himself too seriously. Uh, and so I reckon he's a great dad. But have you noticed how how few, good role, uh, how few good male role models there are on telly these days. Uh, we're constantly hearing about toxic masculinity, but so rarely do we see models of good, godly, healthy masculinity. Now, we've been working our way through the Old Testament book of Samuel, and the chapters we're looking at today show us both. Uh, on the one hand, they show us toxic masculinity at its worst, and we see God's assessment, God's condemnation of that sort of masculinity. But on the other hand, we see a healthy masculinity, a godly masculinity that ultimately points us towards the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, our hero, our ultimate role model. So I want to begin back in 1 Samuel chapter 22, uh, with, the ki with King Saul. Now, we've been following Saul's story all the way from chapter 9. We were first introduced to Saul back then. Uh, Good-looking, tall, head and shoulders above all the rest of the people. He was the, exactly the kind of leader the people of Israel were looking for. But Saul turns toxic. And he becomes utterly obsessed with killing David, even though David has done nothing to provoke his anger, uh, even though David is, has done nothing to threaten Saul. Um, now, I, I couldn't find any pictures for this part of the Bible, so I've just picked some random characters from movies and uh, from the internet. So that's, uh, that's Saul. Uh, even though David, uh, so David's never done anything but Saul makes it his life's mission 
to track down and kill Saul. So in chapter 22, there is David sitting under, a, sorry, there is Saul sitting under a tree in Gibeah and he is berating his men because they haven't done enough to give him info about the whereabouts of David um, because Saul wants to track down and kill David. Now this is male toxicity, uh, toxic masculinity at its worst. A man with great power, but using that power to oppress the innocent. What is going on for Saul? What's actually driving this quest to track down and kill David? What would you say is his underlying motive at heart? Is it jealousy? Um, I'm sure jealousy was at least part of it. So many people love David, even Saul's own children, Jonathan and Michal. They love David. Saul wanted to be loved. So no doubt he was jealous of David and David's success. And yet jealousy or envy is never mentioned in all these chapters. Uh, you won't find a reference to those words. But the word that will keep coming up is the word fear. Uh, that is the word I, God identifies as the underlying motive driving so much of Saul's actions. Um, we saw Saul's fear way back in chapter 9. Remember when he was introduced as king and the people shouted, looking around for him, and there he was hiding amongst the baggage. And from that point on, fear would kind of become the dominant theme of Saul's life as king. Uh, that is the reason he disobeyed God in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 24. He says, I was afraid of the men, more afraid of the men than he was of God. In chapter 17, he was afraid of this big Philistine giant, Goliath. Well, so was everyone else. Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. But after that great victory that David had over Goliath, Saul's fears are now focused on David. So what, chapter 18, Saul was afraid of David. Saul was afraid of David. Saul became still more afraid of David and he remained his enemy for the rest of his days. And all the way up to Saul's death, if you keep reading through 1 Samuel, Saul will be a victim of his own fears. Now, I'm, I'm not a psychologist, but from my experience, toxic masculinity at its foundation is when men become a victim of their own fears, like Saul. Uh, and it can express itself in a whole range of ways. It can express itself in anger, in depression, anxiety, uh, in jealousy, manipulation. But at its root, there, is, there are fears going on uh, for so many of us. I know speaking personally, when I get angry, if, if I'm self-aware enough, I can actually see below the anger uh, are fears, um, fears like that I might be embarrassed 
or fears that I'm, I'm not as in control of this situation as I'd like to be. Um, fear that I might lose something that I value. And I want to say to everyone, especially to the men, don't become a victim of your own fears. Right, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to see a better way. David will show us a better way than becoming obsessed and driven and motivated by our fears. And that is by bringing our fears to God, trusting his fatherly care. But that is something Saul never learnt to do. He never learnt to give his fears over to God. And so his rule in Israel was a disaster, a tragedy. Now, not only did Saul turn toxic, but toxic men became his allies. Uh, so Saul's sitting there under a tree, rebuking his men. You know, why can't you find David? What's wrong with you people? Uh, and now the men, they could well be aware of Saul's kind of irrational fear of David and so they might know about David, but they're just not going to tell him about it. But there is one man there that day who was all the more, who was completely willing to give the whole information that he has. Doeg, verse 9, Doeg the Edomite, who was standing with Saul's officials, he said, I saw Jesse, I saw, sorry, the son of Jesse, that's David, come to Ahimelech, son of Ahitab at Nob. Ahimelech inquired of the Lord for him. He also gave him provisions and the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. Now, back in chapter 21, we met Doeg, the Edomite, for the first time. He was there. He was there when David came to the home of the priest at the tabernacle to Ahimelech. Uh, Ahimelech, the priest, genuinely thought that David was on Saul's business, that David was carrying out the king's business. And so Ahimelech helped David. He gave him some of the tabernacle bread. He also gave him the sword that had belonged to Goliath, that David had used to chop Goliath's head off. Uh, he gave it to David as well. And so Doeg was there on that day. And so now when Saul is seeking intel on David, Doeg tells the whole story. And so Saul calls for the priest, the priest's sons, every priest associated with the household of Himelech is called up to front before, uh, before Saul, the holy men of God. Verse 13, Saul said to him, why have you conspired against me? You and the son of Jesse, giving him bread and a sword and inquiring of God for him so that he has rebelled against me and lies in wait for me as he does today. Right? Can you see how irrational Saul's fears are? Uh, and that's exactly what Ahimelech points out, that, that there's no better servant to Saul than David. Uh, and Ahimelech argues his innocence but Saul doesn't care. Verse 16, the king said, you shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and your whole family. And so 
Saul commands his soldiers, his men, to put the priests to death. But they are unwilling. And rightly so. They don't want to be caught up in some unjustified war crime. Uh, and they don't want to kill the holy men of God. Right? Their fear of God outweighs their fear of Saul. And so verse 18, the king then ordered Doeg, you, you turn and strike the priests. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck them down. That day he killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod. Like what an absolute tragedy. Innocent, holy men of God are struck down and killed for no reason, no good reason at all. Uh, verse 19, Doeg also put to the sword Nob, the town of the priests with its men and women, its, ca- its children and infants, its cattle, donkeys and sheep. You see, Doeg had no fear of God. He was brutal, godless, And the thing about Doeg is we hardly know anything about him. All we know is he's not an Israelite. He's from Edom. Uh, We don't know his backstory. We don't know what kind of motivated him. But we do know what God thinks of men like Saul and Doeg. Uh, We know what God thinks because David wrote about it. Uh, David wrote a song of lament um, about the day that Doeg and Saul killed the priests. Uh, Psalm 52. And David wrote, Surely God will bring you down to everlasting ruin. He will snatch you up, pluck you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. Or David wrote Psalm 11, quite possibly around the same time. He said, The wicked... Those who love violence, God hates with a passion. Now, that is such strong language to use of God, isn't it? God hates with a passion the wicked and those who love violence. On the wicked, he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. You see, God is love. That is his normal mode of operating. The way he loves The way he chooses to relate to people is about mercy, compassion, kindness, and love. He's slow to anger. But when someone is ruthless, brutal, bloodthirsty, a lover of violence, God will deal with those things decisively. So there's no doubt Toxic masculinity is a reality of our world, but there's no doubt either that God will deal harshly with those who uh, treat other people like that. But there is an alternative. Uh, David. In David, we see a godly masculinity. David had far more reason to fear than Saul did. The most powerful man in the land... King Saul was trying to hunt down and kill David. It was Saul's life mission at this time. But unlike Saul, 
David learnt to bring his fears and hand them over to God. So he wrote Psalm 56 while fleeing from Saul. I've got a quote there for you from Psalm 56. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise. In God I trust and I am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? There's a beautiful movement there, isn't there? Uh, When I am afraid, so there are times when David got afraid, but what he learned to do was when he's afraid, to put his trust in God. And God dealt with his fears. Uh, And he realized that if God is with me, who can be against me? Uh, What do I need to fear from mere mortals? David also wrote Psalm 34 during this time. Isn't it beautiful the way we have the Psalms as a kind of a window into what was going on in David's thinking and in his heart. Psalm 34, I I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. And he delivers them. See, so what we see in David is a man who fears God and therefore he doesn't fear what other people think or say or do. Sometimes our fears are irrational, like Saul. Sometimes we fear for good reason, like David. But God wants us to learn to trust him to hand it over to him, to cast our fears on our heavenly father. And this is something David learnt, but Saul would never learn. See, 1 Samuel chapter 22 starts with David seeking refuge in a cave in the wilderness. And he wrote Psalm 57 from that cave. And the psalm starts like this. Have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me, for in you I take my refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. You see the, the kind of the beautiful irony of the psalm. Because it looks like David has taken refuge in the cave. But in fact, David in his heart knows that he has taken refuge in God under the shadow uh, of God's wings until the disaster passes. And strangely, even though David himself is a fugitive on the run, hiding in caves, he attracts a whole bunch of refugees to himself. Uh, It's like he becomes their father, their protector, So have a look at the first verse of chapter 22 again. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there in the cave. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him 
and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. See, this motley crew, uh, maybe they've been oppressed by Saul themselves. Maybe they've just found hard times. Uh, But for whatever reason, this motley crew kind of gather around uh, David uh, and in time there'll be more and more gather and their families will come and join them as well if we keep reading through 1 Samuel. Uh, And so at the end of this chapter, we see the sole surviving priest of the Doeg massacre. He finds his way to David in the cave. And in verse 23, David reassures him. David says, stay with me. Don't be afraid. The man who wants to kill you is trying to kill me as well. You will be safe with me. Uh, And so you see David becomes this refuge uh, for those in trouble, uh, for those needing help. But within God's people, within God's people, comfort and reassurance goes both ways. The godly man has a godly ally, Jonathan, the son of Saul. And so while David is on the run, while he is fearing for his life, full of anxiety, verse 16, Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. And he reminds David of God's promises to him. Now, this is one thing we all need right now. We need godly allies like Jonathan who can strengthen us in our faith in times of isolation. See, we're in isolation and lockdown. I want to appeal to us about three things. Firstly, I want to say, put yourself in a place where you can strengthen others and be strengthened by them in your faith in God. These are unique times and we need allies around us who will strengthen us in our faith. So things like growth groups and uh, you know, chat groups where you can pray for one another, they are invaluable at this time. So even though you may feel a little zoomed out, don't miss out on the opportunity to, to strengthen others and to be strengthened by others. That's the first thing. Secondly, <coughs> excuse me, please, sorry. Secondly, if you're not connected with others, please reach out to us. Uh, it, this is a sincere and honest plea. Please reach out to us and let us know. Um, because we would love to help you be connected. We would love to have an opportunity to strengthen you in your faith. And the third thing to say is that if you have capacity to strengthen others by giving a phone call or something like that, please let us know. Um, The pastoral care team, we're aware that there's lots of beautiful connections going on within our church family, 
but we're also not confident that everyone is being connected and strengthened. Uh, and so we'd love the help of any of you who have some time to make some phone calls uh, so that we can strengthen one another. And so if you have that sort of time, please just reach out to one of the pastoral staff, let us know, uh, and we'll give you the names of a few people that you might be able to ring up uh, and check in with. So what we have is David, the man of God, his godly allies. But if we keep reading the book of Samuel, we start to realise that as impressive as David is, he has flaws. He has big flaws. And the irony is, it's actually as David moves into a time of prosperity that he actually becomes less and less godly. And in the end, in the end, David prepares us for the ultimate hero, our ultimate role model, the Lord Jesus. Uh, the New Testament calls Jesus great David's greater son, right? He was great, 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 great grandson of David. But the New Testament says he is great David's greater son. Like David, Jesus suffered before he was crowned king. Like David, Jesus was a victim of toxic masculinity, fear, jealousy, rivalry, spilt over into brutality and hatred so that Jesus was ultimately crucified in the most publicly humiliating, shameful act of degradation. Like David, Jesus entrusted himself to God, drawing strength from God's word, drawing strength from God's promises, praying to God. Like David, Jesus became a refuge for the most unlikely people, sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes. Uh, they come to Jesus and find forgiveness and they find refuge. They find a community through Jesus. They find family. And that is on offer to every single one of us. Jesus offers each one of us forgiveness through his death on the cross. He offers each one of us protection, the safety under his wings. He offers us a home. He offers us a family, a community where we can love, build up and strengthen one another. And so my first question, as we wrap up, my first question to every one of us is this. Will you come to Jesus? Um, if that is something you're afraid of doing, if you're thinking, ah, oh, what am I going to lose if I come to Jesus? Let me assure you, Jesus is kind. He's merciful. He is a good king. Uh, once you come to him, you just realize how good he is, how loving, how gentle how caring. Don't worry about what anyone else thinks. What do you think about Jesus? Will you come to him? And another thing I want to say to us all, and especially to the dads and the men watching, 
I want to say that there are so many bad examples of manhood out there. So many examples of men who are angry, jealous, selfish, you know, in their ambition, fighting for control and power. And underlying that, there are a whole bunch of fears, fears that we might lose something, we might lose control, we might lose respect, we might lose power. And I want to say your fears are a burden too heavy for you to carry. And that is because you cannot control your life like you want to. And you've got to come to grips with that. Um, if you don't come to grips with the fact that you cannot handle those things you fear yourself, then, then your life will continue to spiral. Right? What you need to do is realize, I can't deal with these things myself. I need to bring them to God and his son, Jesus. That is the better way. So the better way is, uh, you know, I started by talking about Little House in the Prairie. And I'm not recommending, like, go out and watch that show by all means, but that's not what I'm recommending at the end of the day. Um, what I'm recommending is that you come to Jesus, listen to him, learn from him, um, imitate him, the way he brings his fears in prayer to his heavenly father, the way he models strong, compassionate, impressive masculinity, it is worth imitating. Will you follow him and will you imitate him? I'm going to lead us in prayer. God, our Father, you know each one of us more than we know ourselves. Father, you know our fears, our failures, the things we worry about and the things that are out of our control. Father, we are so sorry that we are so slow to bring those things to you, that we hold them to ourselves uh, and, we're, and we're just not doing a good job of dealing with them. And so, Father, here today, we bring to you our fears and failures Thank you for Jesus. Uh, we are grieved with the way he was treated, the way he was so despised and brutally crucified. But we are so grateful that he died on the cross for us. We are so grateful that there is forgiveness through the Lord Jesus. So please forgive us. And please strengthen and protect us Please help us to hold on to your, your great and precious promises. Help us to imitate Jesus, his godly faith, his courage, his gentleness. And as a community, as a community of believers, as your family, help us to strengthen one another, especially during these times of isolation. Father, help us to reach out and strengthen one another in our faith. Father, we don't want anyone to be lost. We don't want anyone to drift away. We don't want anyone to be discouraged and isolated. And so please help us as a church community strengthen one another 
as we seek to follow the Lord Jesus and imitate him. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.